This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by CBT Nuggets and Lamigo. On this very special 100th episode, my good friend Rebecca Marshburn interviews me about all things serverless. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 100. What a day today is. It's not every day you turn 100 times old. And on this day, we celebrate Serverless Chat's 100th episode with the most special of guests. The gentleman whose voice you usually hear on this end of the microphone doing the asking. But today, he's going to be doing the telling. The one and only Jeremy Daly. And me, I'm Rebecca Marshburn, your guest host for Serverless Chat's 100th episode. Because it's quite difficult to interview yourself. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Rebecca, thank you very much for uh, for doing this. Oh, my gosh. I am super excited to be here. Couldn't be more honored. Um, I'll give your listeners, our listeners today, this special day, a little bit of background about us. Uh, Jeremy and I met through the AWS Serverless Heroes program, where I used to be a coordinator for quite some time. We supported each other in content, conferences, product requests, road mapping, community building, And most importantly, I think we've supported ourselves or each other in spirit. And now I'm the head of content and community at Common Room and Jeremy's leading serverless cloud at Serverless Inc. So it's even sweeter that we're back together to celebrate this serverless chats milestone with you all, the most important, 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 important part of the podcast equation, the serverless community. So without further ado, let's begin. All right. Hit me up with whatever questions you have. I'm here to answer Jeremy, anything. I'm going to ask you a few heavy hitters, so I hope you're okay. ready. I'm ready to go. And uh, the first one's going to ask you to like step way, 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 way back into your time machine. Um, so if you've got the proper attire on, let's do it. All right. Uh, if, if we're going to step into that time machine, let's peel the layers before serverless, before containers, before cloud even. What is the origin story of Jeremy Daly, the man who usually asks the questions? Ooh, that's tough. I don't think time machines go back that far. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, so it's funny. I uh, when I was in high school, um, you know, I was involved with music and plays and all kinds of things like that. Um, I was a very creative person. Um, I loved creating things. That was one of the biggest sort of. Uh, uh, things and whether it was music or or whatever, and I, I did a lot of work with video actually back in the in the day. I was uh, I was volunteering at the local public access station, um, and uh, when I graduated from high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, I had you know used computers at the computer lab at uh, at the high school. I mean this is this is going back way, so it wasn't everyone had their own computer in their house. Um, but I uh, I went to college, um, and then my first uh, my freshman year in college, I ended up. Um, you know, there's a suite mate that I had who showed me a website that he built on the uh, university servers. And uh, I saw that and I was immediately like, immediately like, whoa, how do you do that? Right. Just this idea of creating something new and, and, and being able to build that. 
uh, build that out was super exciting to me. So, um, so I spent the next couple of weeks um, figuring out figuring out how to do HTML. Um, and uh, and this was before this was like when JavaScript was super super early. And we're talking like 1997. Um, and uh, and it, everything was super early. I was using this. Uh, I eventually you know moved away from using front page and started using this thing called Hot Dog. It was a software for HTML coding. Um, but I started doing that and I started building websites. And then after a while, um, I started figuring out what things things like CGI bins were and how you could write Perl scripts and how you could make interactions happen and how you could capture form data and serve up different things. And it was a lot of copying and pasting. Um, my, uh, my, my, my major at the time, I think was psychology because it was like a default thing that I could do. Um, but then I, I moved into computer science. Um, I did computer science for about a year. Um, and I felt that that was a little bit too, uh, too narrow for what I was hoping to sort of do. I was starting to become more entrepreneurial. Um, I had started selling, uh, websites to people. I had gone to a couple of local businesses and started building websites. Um, so, so I actually expanded that and ended up doing sort of a, a major, that that straddled uh, elect or uh, computer science and management, uh, like business administration. So um, I ended up graduating with a degree in e-commerce and internet marketing, um, which was sort of a, a very early, like before any of this stuff seemed to even exist. Um, and uh, and then from there, I started a web development company, worked on that for twelve years, um, and then I ended up selling that off, did a startup failed the startup. Um, then from that startup, went to another startup, worked there for a couple of years, went to another startup, um, did a lot of consulting in between there. Somewhere along the way, I found serverless and uh, an AWS cloud. And um, and then now is sort of, you know, led me to advocacy for for building things with serverless. And, and now I'm building sort of the uh, I think what I've been dreaming about building for the last several years um, in, in what I'm doing now at serverless Inc. Wow. All right. So this love story started in the 90s. The 90s. Um, right. That's an incredible era. And, you know, welcome to the 2021. Right. Uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, truly. That's a, that's a whole new, that's literally a new millennium. Um, so in a broad way of saying it, you've like, you've seen, you've seen it all. You've started from the very, very like hot dog of the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> to today, which is an incredible name. Uh, that's a, I'm going to have to look them up later. So then you said serverless came along somewhere in there. Um, but let's let's like, you know, go to the middle of your story here. So before right. serverless chats, before its predecessor, which is your weekly off by none newsletter. And before this, is my favorite one, you know, debates around what the suffix less means when appended <laughs> to server. Right. When did you first hear about serverless in that in that moment? Or perhaps you don't remember the exact minute, but I do really want to know what struck you about it. What stood out around about serverless rather than any of the other types of technologies that um, that you could have been struck by and been having a podcast around? Right, right, and I and I think I I think I gave you uh, maybe too too much of a surface uh, level of of what I've seen because uh, I talk mostly about software, but um, if we if we go back, I mean, hardware was one of those things where. Um, 
you know, hardware and installing software and running servers and doing networking and all those sort of things. Um, those were part of my th- those were part of my early career as well. Um, when I was running my web development company, um, I uh, you know we we ended up you know we started by hosting you know hosting on some hosting service somewhere, and then we ended up um, getting a dedicated server, and then we outgrew that, and then we ended up saying, well, maybe we'll bring stuff in house. So we had actually we did on prem for quite some time, um, where we had our own servers and a T one line, and then we moved to another building that had a T three line and if anybody doesn't know what that is you probably don't need to anymore um but uh but those are the things that we were doing uh and then eventually we moved into a co-location facility um, where we rented space and we rented electricity and we rented all the utilities, the bandwidth and so forth. But we had blade servers and I was running VMware and we were doing all this kind of stuff um, to manage the uh, manage the infrastructure and then writing software on top of that. So um, it was uh, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. I know I, I posted something on Twitter a, a few weeks ago about how when I was you know when when we were young we used to have to carry a server on our back uphill both ways to the data center in the snow with no shoes um, and that's kind of how it felt. Um, you know. Know, that you were doing a lot of these things. Um, and then 2008, 2009, um, as I was kind of wrapping up my web development company, we were just in the process of actually saying, you know, it's too expensive at the Colo. I think we were paying probably between like five and $7,000 a month between the, you know, we had leases on some of the servers, you're paying for electricity, you're paying for all these other things. And we were running a fair amount of, uh, a fair amount of uh, services in there. So um, it seemed justifiable. We were making money on it. That wasn't the problem, but um, it just was a, it was a, a very expensive fixed cost for us. And when the cloud started coming along and I started actually building out um, the, uh, the, the, the startup that I was working on, we were building all of that in the cloud. And as I was learning more, about the cloud and how that works. I'm like, I should just move all this stuff that's in the co-location facility, move that over to the cloud and see what happens. Um, and it took a couple of weeks to get that set up. And now, again, this is early. Like, this is before ELB. Um, this is before RDS. This is before, I mean, th- like, this was very, very early cloud. I mean, I think there was like S3 um, and uh, EC2. Like, I think those were the two services that were available um, with a few other things. I don't even think there were VPCs yet. Um, but anyways, I-, I moved everything over. It took a couple of weeks to get that over. Um, and essentially, our bill to host all of our client sites and projects went from, you know, five dollars to $7,000 a month to $700. $50 a month or something like that. And it's funny because had I done that earlier, I may not have sold off my web development company because it could have been much more profitable. So um, it was just an interesting move there. So we got into the cloud fairly early um, and, uh, and and started sort of leveraging that. And it was great to see all these things get added and all these specialty services like RDS and just taking the responsibility because I literally was installing Microsoft SQL Server on an EC2 instance. Um, which is not something that you want to do. You want to use RDS. It's just a much better way to do it. Um, but anyways, so I was working for another startup. This was another, this was like startup number 17 or whatever it was I was working for. And, um, and we had this incident where we were using, um, we had a pretty good setup. I mean, everything was on EC2 instances, but we were using DynamoDB to do some caching layers for certain things. We were using a sharded, um, uh, a sharded database, uh, uh, MySQL database for like product information and so forth. Um, and so the system was pretty resilient. It was pretty, it was, you know, it, it, it handled all of the load testing we did and things like that. Um, but then we actually got featured on um, Good Morning America. Um, and they mentioned our app. It was the Power to Mobile app. And so we get mentioned on Good Morning America. I think it was Good Morning America, the Today Show. Good Morning America, I think it was. Um, one of those morning shows. Anyways, we got about 10,000 signups in less than a minute. 
um, which was amazing. It was just this huge spike in traffic, uh, which was great. The problem was is we had this really weak point in our system where um, we had to basically get a lock on the database in order to get an incremental ID. And so, so essentially what happened is the database choked. And then as soon as the database choked, just to create user accounts, other users couldn't sign in, and there was all kinds of problems. So we basically lost out on all of this um, uh, on all of this capability. So I, I spent some time, you know, doing a lot of research and trying to figure out how do you how do you scale that? How do you scale something that fast? How do you have that resilience in there? And there's all kinds of ways that we could have done it with traditional hardware. It's not like it wasn't it wasn't possible to do, um, you know, with a with a slightly better strategy. Um, but as I was digging around in AWS, I'm I'm looking around at some different things. And we were, you know, I was always in the console because we were using Dynamo and some of those things. Um, And I came across this thing that said Lambda with like a little new thing next to it. I'm like, what the heck is this? So I click on that and I start reading about it. And I'm like, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, we, we don't have to have, we don't have to spin up a server, we don't have to use Chef or Puppet or anything like that to spin up these machines. We can basically just say when X happens, do Y, um, and it was it was like it, it enlightened me. And this was early 2015, so this would have been right after Lambda went GA. I uh, had never heard of Lambda as part of the preview. Um, I mean, I wasn't sort of in that um, you know the reinvent uh, ecosystem or the reinvent. I don't know what would you call that vortex? Uh, maybe is a good way to describe <laughs> vortex the event. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, that's about so how it I, feels by the end. Right. Exactly. Um, so I wasn't really in that. I wasn't in that group yet. I wasn't part of that um, community, so I hadn't heard about it. And so as I started playing around with it, I immediately saw the value there because for me, as someone who again had managed servers and had built out, um, you know, really complex, you know, you, complex networking too. Like you don't, I, I think some of the things you don't think about when you move to an on-prem where you're managing your stuff, even the, what the cloud manages for you. I mean, we had firewalls; we had to do all the firewall rules ourselves, right? I mean, I know you still have to do, you know, security groups and things like that in AWS, but um, just the the level of complexity is uh, is a lot lower when you're in the cloud. And of course, there's so many great services. Um, and systems that help you do that now. But um, just the idea of saying like, wait a minute, so if I you know, have something happen, like a user signup, for example, um, and I don't have to worry about you know, provisioning all the servers that I need in order to handle that. Um, and again, the, it wasn't so much the server aspect of it as it was the database aspect of it. But one of the things that was sort of interesting about the the idea of serverless too was this asynchronous nature of it, this, this idea of being more event-driven and that things don't have to happen immediately necessarily. Um, so that just struck me as something where it seemed like it would reduce a lot. And again, I, this this term has been overused, but the undifferentiated heavy lifting, we use that term over and over again, but there is not a better term for that, right? Because there are just so many things that you have to do as a developer, as an ops person, um, somebody who is you know trying to you know, straddle teams or just a PM or whatever you are, so many things that you have to do um, in order to get an application running, first of all, and then even more you have to do in order to keep it up and running. And then even more, if you start thinking about, you know, distributing it or, or you know, or scaling it or, or getting any of those things, disaster recovery. I mean, there's a million things you have to think about. And I saw serverless immediately as this opportunity to say, wait a minute, like this could reduce a lot of that complexity um, and manage all of that for you. And then again, literally let you focus on the things that actually matter for your business. Okay, as someone who worked, how should I say this, uh, in meta tech or the technology of technology right. in the serverless space, 
When you say that you were starting to build that without ELB even or RDS, my level of anxiety <laughs> is like, <laughs> right. I really feel like I'm watching um, like a, a slow horror film. I'm like, no, 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 you, di you didn't, you didn't have to do that, did you? You uh, did. So <laughs> I applaud you for making it to the end of the film and still being, you know, still being with us. Well, the the other only thing, one protagonist does that. Right. Well, so the uh, <laughs> the other thing that's interesting too about serverless, like where it was like 2015, lambda, you know, lambda goes GA. Um, this will give you some anxiety. There was no API gateway, so there was no way to oh, right. um, to actually trigger a lambda function from a a web request. Right. Um, there was no VPC access in um in lambda functions which meant you couldn't connect to a database um the only thing you do is connect via http so you could connect to DynamoDB or things like that but you could not connect directly to um, rds for example so um if you go back and you look at the timeline of when these things were released like I mean, if just from 2015, I mean, it, you literally feel like a caveman thinking about what you could do back then. Again, it's banging two sticks together versus where we are now and the capabilities that are available to us. Yeah, you're sort of in Plato's cave, right? And you're looking up and you're like, <laughs> it's quite dark in here. And right. Lambda's up there outside, you know, sowing seeds, being like, come on out. It's dark in there. Um, All right. So I imagine... You discovering Lambda through the console is not a, a sentence you hear every day or general console discovery of um, of a new product that will then sort of you know, change the way that you build. And so I'm guessing maybe one of the reasons why you started your off by none newsletter or serverless chats, right, is to be like, how do I help tell others about this without them needing to discover it through the console? Mm. Um, but I'm curious what your why is. Like, why why first the Off by None newsletter, which is one of my favorite things to receive every week. Thank you for continuing well, to write that. such great content. Um, and then and then why serverless chats? Why are we here today? Why are we at number 100? Which I'm so <laughs> excited about every time I say it. And it's kind of crazy to to think about all the people I've I've gotten a chance to talk to. But um, so I mean, I think if you go back, um, you know, I started writing blog posts maybe in 2015. Um, so I haven't been doing it that long. Um, and I certainly wasn't prolific. I wasn't right. I wasn't, you know, consistent writing a blog post every week or every, uh, you know, two a week, like some people do now, um, which is kind of crazy. I don't know how, uh, that, that pay, I mean, it's hard enough writing the newsletter every week, Never mind <laughs> yeah. writing original content. Um, but I started writing about serverless. I think it wasn't until about 2000, the beginning of 2018, maybe the end of 2017. Um, and there was already a lot of great content out there. I mean, Ben Kehoe was very early in to this and a lot of his stuff I read very early. Um, I mean, there's just so many people that were 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 very early in the space. I mean, Paul Johnson. I mean, like just so many people, right? Um, and and I started reading what they were writing, and I was like, oh, I you know I've got some ideas too. I, I've been experimenting with some things. I felt I feel like I've gotten to a point where um, what I what I could share could be potentially useful. So um, I started writing blog posts, um, and I think you know one of my one of the earlier blog posts I wrote was I, I, I want to say 2017, maybe it was 2018, uh, early 2018, but was a, a post about serverless security. Um, and what was great about that post was that actually got me connected with Ori Segal, who had started PureSec, um, and he and I became friends. And we start you know so now I mean so like we just I, that was the other great thing too is just becoming part of this community was amazing. So um, so many awesome people that I've met. 
that. But um, so I, I saw all the stuff people were writing and these things people were doing. And I got to, um, you know, maybe August of 2018. And I, I said to myself, I'm like, okay. I don't know if people are interested in what I'm writing. I wasn't writing a lot, but I was writing a little bit. But I, I wasn't sure if people were overly interested in what I was writing. Um, and again, that idea of... Um of, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome. Um, certainly everything was very early. So I felt a little bit more comfortable. Like I always felt like, well, maybe nobody knows what they're talking about here. So, you know, if I throw something into the fold, it won't be too, too bad. Um, but, uh, but certainly I was reading other things by other people that I was interested in. And I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, if I'm interested in this stuff, other people have to be interested in this stuff, but it wasn't easy to find, right? I mean, there was a very, I mean, there was a, a serverless, you know, there's sort of a serverless Twitter. If you want to, if you want to use that, terminology um, where a lot of people tweet about it and so forth. Um, obviously, it's gotten very noisy now because people slap that term on way too many things, but I don't want to have that discussion. Um, but uh, but so I'm, I'm reading all this great stuff and 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 I, I'm like, well, I really want to share it. And I'm like, well, I guess the best way to do that would just be a newsletter. I, I had uh, an email list for my own personal site that I had a, um, you know, a couple hundred people on. And I'm like, well, let's just turn it into this thing and I'll share these stories and maybe people will find them, uh, find them interesting. And I know this is going to sound a little bit it's a little bit corny, but I have two teenage daughters, so I'm allowed to be, you know, sort of this dad jokey type Absolutely. whatever. But like I I remember when I started writing the first version of this newsletter and I said to myself, I'm like, I don't want this to be a newsletter. Um, like I, I, I was like toying around with this idea of like calling it like an unnewsletter. Like I didn't want it to just be mm -hmm. another list of links that you click on. And I know that's interesting to some people, but I, I felt like there was an opportunity to opine on it, to, to, to look at the individual links, um, and maybe even tell a story, um, as part of all of the links that were shared that week. Um, and I thought that that would be more interesting than just getting a list of links. And, and I'm sure you've seen over the last 140 issues or however many we're at now, um, that there's been changes in the way that we formatted it and we've tried new things and things like that. But, but ultimately, and this goes back to the corny thing. Um, I mean, w one of the first things that I wanted to do was I wanted to basically thank people for writing this stuff. Like I wanted to basically say, look, this is not just about you writing some content. Like this is, this is big, like this is important. And, and, and I appreciate it. I appreciate you for writing that content. And, and I wanted to make it more of like a celebration really of the community and the people that were early contributors to that space. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I did the serverless star thing. I thought like, well, you know, hey, there's, if somebody writes a really good article some week and it's just, it really hits me like, you know, or somebody else says, hey, this person wrote a great article or whatever. I wanted to sort of celebrate that person and and call them out um, because that's one of the things too is, you know, writing blog posts or posting things on social media without a good following um, or without without the, the dopamine hit of people liking it or retweeting it and things like that. It can be a pretty lonely place. Uh, I mean, I know I feel that way sometimes when you put something out there and, and you think it's important or you think people might want to see it and just not enough people see it. Um, and, and it's even worse. I mean, you know, 240 characters or whatever it is to write a tweet is one thing or 280 characters. But like if you're if you're spending time putting together a, a tutorial um, or you're you put together a really good thought piece or story or use case or something where you feel like um, this is worth sharing because it could inspire somebody else or it could get 
um, you know, it could it could uh, it could help somebody else, could get them past a bump, it could it could make them think about something a different way, or get them over a hump or whatever. Um, I I mean, that's just the kind of thing where like I think people need that encouragement, and I think people deserve that encouragement for the work that they're doing, and that's what I wanted to do with Off by None uh, is make sure that I got that out there and and to and to try to amplify those voices the best that I could. Um, the other thing where it's sort of progressed, and I guess maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the other place where it's progressed, uh, and I thought was really interesting was finding people, th- there is the, there's the, the heavy hitters in the serverless space, right? Like the ones we all know, um, and you can name them all. Um, and, and they are great and they produce amazing content and they do amazing things. Um, but they have pretty good engines to get their content out, right? I mean, some people who write for the AWS blog, they're on the AWS blog, right? So they're 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 doing pretty well in terms of getting their their things out there, right? And they've got pretty good engines. Um, there's some good dev advocates too that just have good Twitter followings and things like that. Then there's that you know there's that guy who writes the story. I don't know. He's in India or he's uh, he's in uh, Poland or something like that. He writes this really good tutorial on how to do this odd edge case for serverless and you go and you look at the medium and they've got two followers on medium um you know five followers on twitter or something like that and that to me just seems unfair right i mean they've wrote they've written a really good piece and it's worth sharing um right that and it needs to get out there i don't have a huge audience i know that i'm not i i mean i've got you know a, a good following on Twitter. I feel like uh, I, you know, a lot of my Twitter followers, um, you know, we can have good conversations, which is what, you know, what you want on Twitter. Um, you know, the newsletter has continued to grow. We've got a very, you know, a good listener base for, for this show here. Um, so I don't have a huge audience, but if I can share that audience with other people and get other people to the forefront, then, you know, that, that's important to me. And I, I love finding, I love finding those people and those ideas, um, that, that other people might not see because they're not looking for them. Um, so if I can be part of that and help share that, that to me is just a, it, it, it's, it's not only a responsibility, it's just, it's incredibly rewarding. So. Yeah, I have to, um, I mean, it is your hundredth episode, so hopefully I can give you some kudos, but, um, if, Celebrating others' work is one of your main tenets. You nail it every time. So just wanted you to know that. So that was, that's sort of the genesis, of course, of both of these, right? That underpins, it's a foundational how to share both works or how to share others' work through different channels. Um, I'm wondering how it transformed. There's this newsletter and then, and then of course, it also has this other component, which is serverless chats. and. That that moment when you're like, all right, this newsletter, this this narrative that I'm telling behind serverless, highlighting all of these different authors from all of these different global spaces. I'm gonna start. You know what else I want to do? I don't have enough to do. I'm gonna start a <laughs> podcast. Right. Yeah. How did we get here? Well, so uh, I, you know what the funny thing is is now that I think about it, I think it just goes back to this tenant of fairness. Um, this idea where I was fortunate and I was able to go down to New York City and and go to Serverless Days New York in, in late 2018. Um, I was able to, uh, Tom McLaughlin actually um, got me uh, connected with a bunch of great people in Boston. Um, um, I live just outside of Boston. We got connected with a bunch of great people and we started, um, uh, we started the Serverless Days Boston for 2019 and we were on that committee. Uh, I started 
traveling and I was going to conferences and I was I was meeting people. I went to reInvent in 2018, which I know a lot of people just don't have the opportunity to do. Um, and the interesting thing was is that I was pulling aside brilliant people, um, either you know either in a, in the hallway at a conference or more likely for a very long deep discussion that we would have about something at a pub in Northern Ireland or something like that right <laughs> so I mean these were opportunities that I was getting that I was privileged enough to get and I'm like these are amazing conversations like just things that for me, I know change the way I think. And one of the biggest things that I try to do is evolve my thinking. Like I, what I thought a year ago is probably not what I think now. Uh, you know, maybe call it flip flopping, whatever you want to call it. But I, I think that evolving your thinking is the is the most progressive thing that you can do. Um, and starting to understand as you gain new perspectives. And I was talking to people that I never would have talked to if I was just sitting here in my home office or at the time. I mean, it was at my, I was at another office, but still, I just I wasn't getting that context. I wasn't getting that experience and I wasn't getting those stories um, uh, that that literally changed my mind and and make me and made me think about things differently. And so here I was in this privileged position, being able to talk to these amazing people. Um, and, and in some cases, funny, because it's like, so they're celebrities in their own right, right? I mean, these are the people where like other people think of them, and it's almost like they're a celebrity. And these people, you know, I, I think they deserve fame. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, mm -hmm. But like, you know, as someone who has been on that side of it as well, it's kind of, it's kind of, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's weird to have fans in a, in a sense, right? I I love you know again like just you can be my friend. Like you don't have to be my fan, um, but uh, but like so. It, but that's how I'm a I fan felt of about, my friends. So fan and my friend. Um. So I having talked to these other people and having these really deep conversations on serverless and and go beyond serverless too. I mean, we actually had a lot of um. Uh, I've had quite a few conversations with some people that have nothing to do with serverless. Actually, um, uh, Peter Sparsky and I. Every time we get together, we only talk about the value of going to college. Um, for some reason, I don't know why it has usually nothing to do with serverless, but, um, but so I'm having these great conversations with these people and I'm like, wow, I, I wish I could share these. Like, I wish other people could have this experience. Cause I can tell you right now, you know, there's, there's people who can't, there's people who can't travel. Um, especially a lot of people outside of the United States, like they, you know, it's hard to travel to the United States sometimes. So, um, so these conversations are going on and I thought to myself, I'm like, wouldn't it be great if we could just have these conversations and let other people hear them and with hopefully without, you know, bar glasses clinking in the background. Um, and so I said, you know what, let, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. I'll, I'll do a couple of episodes. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If people are interested, they're interested. But um, but that was sort of the genesis of that. I mean, it just goes back to this idea where like um, I, I felt I felt a little selfish having these conversations and not and not being able to share them with other people. It's the very Jeremy Daly tenant slogan, right? You got to share it. You got you got to share it. The more you share right. it, it celebrates it. Uh, I love that. I think you do. Yeah, you do a great job giving a megaphone so that more people can hear. Hi, everyone. I just want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, CBT Nuggets. Now, if you're an IT professional or a developer like me, you know how important it is to constantly be learning new skills to keep up with the latest trends. Now, sometimes a blog post or a YouTube tutorial can get you started, but if I really want to upskill, nothing compares to professional training from experts you can trust. And with CBT Nuggets, I have access to more than 400 courses and over 4,000 hours of professional training. And with a 100% in-house training team, they add 40 hours of new training every Every week. 
Now, their courses feature topics ranging from building serverless apps with Lambda and DynamoDB to certification-focused training for AWS, Microsoft, Linux, and more. And CBT Nuggets also offers virtual labs so you can practice your new skills as you're learning them. They also have accountability coaching, which lets you talk to a real person to create custom learning paths to set goals and keep you accountable. So whether you're a developer looking to sharpen your skills or a team looking to level up together, you can try CBT Nuggets for free for seven days thanks to their free trial offer. Just visit cbtnuggets.com serverless and sign up to get started. So in case you need a reminder, actually, I'll ask you. I know what the answer is to this, but do you know the answer? What was your very first episode of Serverless Chats? What what was the name and how long did it last? What was the name? Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I know. Oh, I remember now. Uh, Well, I know it was Alex Debris. I absolutely know that it was Alex Debris because if if you do not know Alex Debris, not only is he an AWS um, data hero, uh, as well as the author of the the DynamoDB book, um, but he's also like the most likable person on the planet, too. So um, it is really hard uh, (laughs) if you've ever met Alex that you wouldn't remember him. Um, So uh, Alex and I, uh, you know, started communicating. uh, Again, we met through the serverless space. I think actually he was working at Serverless Inc. at the time when we first met. Um, and uh, we were just, and I think uh, I think I met him in person at, finally met him in person at, um, at reInvent 2018. Um, but he and I have sort of collaborated on a number of things and so forth. But um, so let me think what the name of it was. Uh, serverless purity versus practicality or something like that. That That's close? exactly what it was. Oh, all right. I yeah. nailed it. Nailed it. Wow. Nice. Well, it's a great title. Don't ask and me I like can... what episode number 27 <laughs> was, though, because that I could no way I could tell you that. <laughs> and just for fun, it was 34 minutes long and you released mm. it on June 17th, 2019. So come a long way in a yes. year and a half. Uh, that's that's some kind of wildness. Right. Um. I re- so it makes sense. Like the capital, all caps, bold, italic uh, author for databases, Alex Brie, makes sense why you selected him as your guest. I'm wondering if you remember any of the, uh, like, what do you remember most about that episode? Like, what was it like planning it? What was the reception of it? Mm. Anything funny happened recording it or releasing it? Yeah, well, I mean, so the funny thing was, um, is that I was incredibly nervous. I still am. Actually, a lot of guests that I have, I'm still incredibly nervous when I'm about to do the actual interview. And I think it's it's partially because I want to do justice um, to the content that they're presenting and, and to their expertise. Uh, and I feel like there's a responsibility to them. But I also feel like, you know, you know, the guests that I've had on, some of them are just so smart. And, and the things they say, like, I just, I'm in awe of some of the things that come out of these people's mouths. Um, and I'm like, this is amazing. And people need to hear this. And so I feel like the, we've had really good episodes. We've had some okay episodes. But um, I, I feel like I want to try to keep that level up so that they sort of owe that to my listener to make sure that there is... Um, you know, a high quality episode that, uh, you know, high quality information that they're going to get out of that. Um, but going back to the sort of the planning of the the initial episodes. Um, so I actually had six episodes recorded before I even released the first one. Um, and the reason why I did that was because I said, all right, there's no way that I can record an episode and then, you know, wait a week and then record another episode and wait a week. And I, I thought batching them would be a good idea. Um, and so very early 
early on, I had Alex and I had Nitzan Shapira and I had Ron Ribbonzaft and I had um, uh, Marcia Vilshalba and I had um, uh, Eric uh, Eric Peterson uh, from Cloud Zero. And so I, I had a whole bunch of these episodes and I reached out to, I think, eight or nine people. And I said, I'm doing this thing. Would you be interested in it or whatever? Um, and we actually did, you know, we did planning sessions, still a thing that I do today. It's still part of the process. So whenever I have a guest on, um, if you are listening to an episode and you're like, wow, how do they just like, you know, keep the thing going? Like, you know, it's not scripted. I don't want people to think it's scripted, but it is, you know, we do sort of review the outline and we kind of go through some talking points to make sure that again, a high quality episode and that the guest says all the things that the guest wants to say. Um, a lot of it is spontaneous, right? I mean, the, the, the language is spontaneous, but we do, um, we do try to plan these episodes ahead of time so that we make sure that, you know, that again, we get the content out and we talk about all the things we want to talk about. Um, but with Alex, um, it was funny. He was actually the first of the six episodes that I recorded though. Um, and I wasn't sure who I was going to do first. Um, but, uh, you know, I hadn't quite picked it yet. Um, but I recorded with Alex first and it was an easy, easy conversation. And the reason why it was an easy conversation was because we had talked a number of times, right? It was like that. Um, it was that, that you know, in, in a pub talking or whatever and, and, uh, and having that, that friendly chat. So um, that was a pretty easy conversation. And I remember the first several conversations I had, um, you know, I knew Nitsen very well. I knew Ron very well. I knew Eric very well. Eric uh, helped plan um, Serverless Days Boston with me. Um, and, uh, I had known Marcia very well. Marcia actually had interviewed me when we were in Vegas, uh, for, for, uh, reInvent 2018. So, so, um, those were very comfortable conversations. And so it actually was a lot easier to do, which probably gave me a false sense of security. I was like, wow, this was <laughs> like, these came out pretty well. The conversations worked pretty well. Um, and also it was super easy because I was just doing audio. Um, and once you add the video component into it, it gets a little bit more complex, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if there's anything funny that happened during it other than the fact that, I mean, I was incredibly nervous when we recorded those um, because I just didn't know what to expect. Um, if anybody wants to know, you know, hey, how do you just jump right into podcasting? Um, I didn't. Um, I actually was planning on like, how can I record my voice? How can I, um, you know, how can I get comfortable behind a microphone? Uh, and so one of the things that I did was I started creating audio versions of my blog posts and posting them on SoundCloud. Uh, so I did that for a couple of, uh, a couple of, uh, podcast, I'm sorry, a couple of, uh, blog posts that I did. And, um, and that just helped sort of make me feel a little bit more comfortable about being able to record and, and, uh, and getting a little bit more comfortable, even though I still can't stand the sound of my own voice, but, um, hopefully that doesn't bother other people. That is an amazing, uh, you know, I think we so often talk about ideas around you know where you want to go and you have this vision and that's your goal. And it's a constant um, reminder to be like, how do I make incremental steps to actually mm. get to that goal? And I, I love that as like a life hack, like, hey, start with something you already know <laughs> that you wrote and feel comfortable in and say it out loud and say it out loud again and say it out loud again. And you may not love your voice, but you will at least feel comfortable saying things out loud on a podcast. Right. 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 I'm still um, working, still working on the ums and ahs. Uh, I still do that. So, but 
And I don't edit those out. That's another thing, too, actually, that uh, one of the things I, I do want people to know about this podcast is um, these are authentic conversations, right? I, I am probably like, I, I feel like I'm, I mean, the most authentic person that I know. I just want authenticity. I want that out of the guests. Um, the idea of putting together an outline is just so that, you know, we can put together a high quality episode, but everything is authentic. Um, and and that's what I want out of people. I just want that, um, you know, that sort of authenticity. And, and one of the things that I felt kept that was leaving in ums and ahs. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things where I know a lot of podcasts will edit those out and it sounds really polished and finished. Again, I mean, I figured if we can get the clinking glasses out from the background of a bar and just at least have the conversation that that is, um, uh, you know, that that's, that that's what I'm trying to achieve. And, and we do very little editing. Uh, we don't, you know, we, we do cut things out here and there, like especially if somebody makes a mistake or they want to, you know, when they want to start something over again, um, we will cut that out because we want, again, high quality episodes. But, um, but yeah, but authenticity is, uh, is deeply important to me. Yeah, I think it, it probably certainly helps that, you know, neither of us are robots because <laughs> robots wouldn't say um so many times right. <laughs> uh, as I say uh. Um, so let's talk about, like, Alex Debris was your first guest, mm -hmm. but there's been 100 episodes, right? So from, I, I might say the best guest, you know, is the 100th episode guest, which is our very own Jeremy Daly, but let's go back to that. your guests, um, 1 to 99. And I mean, you've chatted with some of the most thoughtful, talented serverless builders and architects in the industry and and across coincident spaces like ML and voice technology, mm. chaos engineering, databases. Um, so, you know, you started with Alex Debris and databases, and then I'm going to list off some names here, but there's so many more, right? But there's the Gunnar Groshes and mm -hmm. the Alexander Abbases and Ajay Nair and Angela Tamoft and James Beswick, Chris Munns, Forrest Brazil, Alexander Simovich and Slobodan Stojanovic. Like, there's right. just so many more. And I'm wondering if if across those 100 conversations or 99 plus your own today, uh, if you had to distill those into, you know, two or three lessons, um, what have you learned that sticks with you if there are like emerging patterns or themes across these, these very divergent and convergent um, thinkers in the serverless space? Mm. Oh, that's a tough question. Um, You're welcome. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, put me on the spot here. Uh, so the... So yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I've uh, I've seen, no matter what it's been, whether it it's ML or it's chaos engineering or it's any of those other uh, you know observability and things like that, uh, I think the the common thing that threads all of it is they're trying to solve problems and make people's lives easier. Um, you know, that every one of those solutions is sort of like, and we always talk about abstractions and, um, and higher level abstractions. And, you know, we're no longer, we no longer have to write ones and zeros on punch cards or whatever. We can, you know, we can write, uh, we can write, you know, languages that either compile or, or interpret it or whatever. And then, you know, the cloud comes along and there's things we don't have to do anymore, um, you know, that just kind of get taken, taken care of for us. And, um, and you keep building these higher level abstractions. And, and I think that's a lot of what, um, you know, you've, you've got this underlying concept of letting somebody else handle things for you. Um, and then you've got this whole group of people that are coming at it from a number of different angles and saying, well, how will that apply to my use case? Um, and I, I think a lot of those, um, you know, a lot of those things uh, are very, very specific. I think things like the voice technology, where it's like the fact that serverless powers voice technology uh, is only interesting in the fact 
as to say that you know the voice technology is probably more in, the more interesting part. The fact that serverless powers it is just the fact that it's a really simple vehicle to do that, um, and re- and basically removes this whole idea of saying I'm building voice technology or I'm building a voice app. Why do I need to worry about setting up servers and all this kind of stuff? Like it just takes that away, uh, takes that out of the equation. And I think that's the perfect sort of idea of saying how can you take your use case, fit serverless in there, um, and apply it in a way that you know gets rid of all that extra overhead that you that you shouldn't have to worry about. Um, and the same thing is true of like machine learning and I mean, and SageMaker and things like that. Like, yeah, you're still running instances of it or you still have to do some of these things, but now there's like SageMaker endpoints and some other things that are happening. So there, it's moving in that direction as well. Um, but then you have those really high level services like um, NLU um, API from IBM, which is the Watson Natural Language Processing. Um, you've got uh, AP, you know, recognition. You've got the Vision API. You've got um, you know, sentiment analysis through all these different things. So you've got a lot of different um, services that are very specific to um, you know very specific to uh, you know machine learning and solving a, a discrete problem there. But then basically relying on serverless or at least presenting it in a way that's serverless, where you don't have to worry about it. Right, like you don't have to run all of these, you know, uh, Jupyter notebooks and things like that to do machine learning for a lot of cases. This is one of the things I, I talked uh, about with um, Alexandra Abbas um, was that, you know, these higher level APIs are just kind of taking uh, taking a lot of that responsibility or a lot of that heavy lifting off of your plate and allowing you to you know, really come down and focus on the things that you're doing. So um, so going back to that, I, I, I do think that serverless, um, th- that the common theme that I see is that you know that this idea of worrying about um, uh, worrying about servers and worrying about patching things and worrying about networking, all that kind of stuff, for so many people now, that's just not even a concern. Like they don't even think about it, um, and that is that's amazing to think of compute. Or data, um, or or networking as a utility that is now just available to us, right? And and that I mean, again, going back to my roots, taking it for granted is something that I think a lot of people do. Um, but I think that's also maybe a good thing, right? Like, just don't think about it. I mean, there are people who are, like they're still going to be engineers and people who are sitting in a data center somewhere and racking servers and doing it. That. That's going to be forever, right? Um, but for the things that you're trying to build, that's unimportant to you. That is that is the far the furthest from your concern. Um, you want to focus on the problem that you're trying to solve, and so I think that that's a lot of what I've seen um, from talking to people is that they are literally trying to figure out, okay, how do I take what I'm doing, my use case, my problem, um, how do I take that to the next level? By being able to spend my cycles thinking about that as opposed to how I'm going to serve it up to people. Yeah, I think uh, it's you know the the mantra right of simplify, 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 or or maybe even um, to credit Bruce Lee, be like water. You're like, how do <laughs> right. I be like water in this instance? Well, it's not to be setting up servers; it's to be right. doing what I would be like to what I would like to be doing. So you've interviewed these incredible folks. Um, is there anyone left on your list? I'm sure there. I mean, I know that you have a large list. Is there is there a few key folks where you're like? You know, if this is the moment I'm going to ask them, I'm going to say on the 100th episode, dear so-and-so, I would love to interview you for serverless chats. Who who, who are you asking? Ooh, um, so this is something that, again, we have... Um... Uh, sort of a stretch list um, of guests that we, you know, that we attempt to reach out to every once in a while, just to say, hey, if we if it's if we get them, we get them. Um, but I, 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 so I, I have a long list of people that um, I would absolutely love to talk to. Um, I think number one on on my list um, is certainly. Uh, 
Werner Vogels. I mean, I would love to talk to Dr. Vogels about a number of things and maybe even beyond serverless. Like, I'm just really interested. I More so from a curiosity standpoint of like, just how do you keep that in your head? Like how, that vision of where it's going. And I'd love to drill down more into the vision because I do feel like there's a there's a marketing aspect of it that's pushing on him of like, you know, here's what we have to focus on because of market adoption and so forth. And even though the technology you want to move into a certain way, um, I'd be really interested to talk to him about that. And I'd love to talk to him more too about developer experience and so forth. Because um, one of the things that I love about AWS is that it gives you so many primitives. But at the same time, the thing I hate about AWS is it gives you so many primitives. Um, so you have to think <laughs> about 800 services. I know it's not that many, but like, what is it, 200 services, something like that, um, that all need to kind of connect together. And I love that there's that diversity in that and those those capabilities. Um, it's just from a developer standpoint, it's really hard to choose which ones you're supposed to use, especially when several services overlap. Um, so I'm just curious. I mean, I'd love to kind of talk to him about that um, and see, you know, what the vision is in terms of, you know, is that is that the idea to just just to you know be a salad bar to be the uh, golden corral of uh, of, of cloud <laughs> services, I guess, right, where you can choose whatever you want and probably take too much uh, and then not use a lot of it. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know if that's if, if that's if that's part of the strategy, but I think there's a, some interesting questions could dig in there. Um, another person from AWS that I actually want to talk to, and I haven't reached out to her yet, um, just because I, I don't know, I just haven't reached out to her yet, but is um, is Bridget Johnson. Um, she is like an IAM yes. expert, and I saw her speak at Reinforce um, in the 2019, most in 2019 uh, in Boston. And um, I was like, it was like she was speaking a different language, but she knew IAM so well. And I... I'm not a fan of IAM. I mean, I'm a fan of it in the sense that I it, it's necessary and it's great. Um, but I just I, I can't wrap my head around so many different things about it. It just it's such a it's an ongoing learning process. And when it comes to things like um, you know being able to use uh, tags to uh, you know elevate permissions, I, just crazy things like that. Anyways, I would love to have a conversation with her because um, I'd really like to dig down into sort of like you know what is the essence of IAM? What are the things that you really have to think about with least permission, especially applying it to serverless services and so forth. Um, uh, and, uh, and maybe have her help me figure out how to do some of the cross role IAM things that I'm trying to do. Um, uh, certainly would love to speak to Jeff Barr. Um, I did meet Jeff briefly. Uh, we talked for a minute, but, um, uh, but I would love to chat with him. I think he sets like a shining example of what a developer advocate is. Um, you know, just the way that, that, uh, I mean, first of all, he's probably the only person alive who knows every service at AWS and has actually tried it, um, because he writes all those blog posts about it. So, I mean, that would just be, uh, it would be great to pick his brain on that stuff. Um, also, Adrian Cockcroft um, would be another great person to talk to. I mean, uh, uh, you know, just just this idea of you know what he's done with microservices and thinking about uh, the role, his role with Netflix and some of those other things and how all that kind of came together. Um, you know, would I think would be a really interesting conversation. I know I've seen so many of his presentations where um, you know he's talked about the objections, like what were the objections of, of Lambda um, and how have you solved those objections and, and here's the things that we've done. Um, and again, the methodology of that. Would be um, would be really interesting to know. Um, 
Uh, there's a couple of other people too. Oh, I mean, uh, Sam Newman, um, who wrote Building Microservices. Uh, that was like my Bible for like uh, mm. quite some time. Um, I, I had it on my iPad and had a whole bunch of uh, bookmarks and things like that. Um, that and and if anybody wants to know, um, one of my most popular posts that I've ever written was, um, you know, the I think it was what is it, sixteen, seventeen architectural patterns for serverless or you know, uh, serverless microservice patterns on AWS. Can you remember the name of my own post? Um, but that post was very, very popular. And um, I mean, that even was, uh, I, I know, uh, you know, Matt Coulter, who did like the, uh, you know, the uh, CDK, um, you know, he's, he's done the whole CDK, uh, what the heck was that? the CDKpatterns.com. Um, you know, that was one of the things where he, he said that, that was instrumental for him, you know, in seeing those patterns and being able to use those patterns and so forth. If anybody wants to know, a lot of those patterns and those ideas and those uh, the the sort of the confidence that I had with presenting those patterns, a lot of that came from Sam Newman's work um, in his building microservices book. So, um, you know, again, credit credit where credit is due, and and I think that um, you know that would be a, a really fascinating conversation. Um, and then, I mean, I, you know, Simon Wardley, I would love to talk to. Um, I'd actually love to. I, I actually talked. I met uh, Lynn Clark uh, in Vegas uh, as well. She was inter- instrumental with the uh, WebAssembly um, stuff, and uh, I'd love to talk to her. Uh, Merritt Bear. I mean, there's just so many. There's so many people. <laughs> I'm probably just naming too many people now. Um, but there, there are a lot of people that um, I would love to. Uh, I would love to have a chat with. With, um, uh, and just pick their brain. And also, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot on the show as well is, um, you know, the term serverless, um, you know, good or bad for some people, um, you know, some of the conversations we have go outside of serverless a little bit, right? I mean, they're sort of peripheral to it. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of things are peripheral to serverless now, Um and uh, there are a lot of conversations to be had. People who are building with serverless, like you know, actually real world examples. I mean, one of the things, um, one of the things I love hearing was uh, um, was uh, uh, Yen Trey's um, real world serverless podcast, where he actually talked to people who are building serverless things and building them in their in their uh, in their uh, 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 organizations. Like that is super interesting to me, and I would actually love to have some of those conversations here as well. So, if anyone's listening and you have a really interesting story to tell about serverless or something peripheral to serverless, you know, please reach out and. Um, send me a message and I'd be happy to uh, happy to happy to talk to you. I mean, well, good news is it sounds like a we have at least you've got at least another hundred episodes <laughs> planned out already. Um, Most likely, yeah. And B, what a what a testament to Sam Newman. Uh, that's that's pretty great when your work is referred to as the Bible by someone. Uh, <laughs> as far as in terms of you know a tome, a treasure trove of perhaps learnings or parables or teachings. Um, right. I, and, and wow, what a list of, of other folks, especially, you know, AWS power, actually not AWS powerhouses, powerhouses who happen to work at AWS. Right. And I think have paved the way for a ton of ways of thinking and um, even communicating. Right. So I think, you know, Jeff Barr, as far as the setting the bar, raising the bar, if you right. will, for how to, teach others and not be so um so high level or high level enough where you can follow along with him right not so high level where it feels uh like you can't achieve what he's showing other people how to do um right and i just i want to comment on the jeff Barr thing because again i actually that's my point that's one of the reasons why i love what he does and he's so perfect for for that position because he's relatable um you know and he presents things in a way 
that isn't like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course, this is how you, you know, this is how you do this. Like, I mean, it's not that way. It's always presented in a way to make it accessible. Um, and and even for services that I'm not interested in, um, that I know that I probably will never use, I generally will read uh, Jeff's post because I feel like it gives me a good overview, right? It just gives me a good right. overview to understand whether or not that service is even worth looking at. Um, and it's certainly something I don't get from reading the documentation. Right. He's inviting you to come with him in understanding right. this, uh, which is which is so neat. So I think, uh, you, you know, I bet we should. I, I mean, I know that we can find all these Twitter handles for these folks and put them in the show notes. And especially I'm just going to say here that, you know, Werner Vogels' Twitter handle is at Werner. So maybe for your hundredth, all the listeners, everyone listening right, everyone, to this. Man. We can say, hey, Werner, I heard that you're like, you know, the number one you know, guest <laughs> that Jeremy Daly would like to to interview. And uh, I think if we get enough folks saying that to at Werner, uh, did I say that at Werner? Just at Werner, anyone, did. if you didn't did. hear it? Did. I mean, now listen, um, yeah. he did he did retweet my serverless musical that I did. So I that's mean, right. I'm I'm sort of on his radar, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I mean, he he loves serverless, especially with the the number of customers and and the types of customers and um, that are doing incredible things with it. So I think uh, I think we've got a chance, Jeremy. I really do. That's what I'm well, trying to say. That's good to know. Um, well, you're welcome anytime. He's welcome anytime. Did we say that at Werner? You are welcome anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Lumigo. We've talked a lot about observability on this podcast, and if you've listened to any of those episodes, then you know that it can be difficult to achieve serverless observability with traditional approaches. Now, serverless comes with many opportunities and advantages, and it also has some unique issues that some tools just aren't able to address, and those issues really need something meant for serverless environments. That's where Lumigo comes in. As a serverless-first monitoring platform, Lumigo lets developers quickly and easily find and fix errors and performance issues, while also giving you an end-to-end -end view of the entire transaction across services and functions. All of the debugging information you need is conveniently in one place, and you're able to set up alerts so you know what's happening and how it might affect the user experience. Lumigo also knows how to play nice with your existing toolchain, enabling you to send alerts to email, Slack, Microsoft Teams, Ops Genie, and more, and can also create tickets in Jira straight from the issues page. Thanks to their automatic distributed tracing, it only takes four clicks to set up Lumigo with no manual code changes necessary. Lumigo already has a free plan that lets you track up to 150,000 AWS Lambda invocations a month, but today they're offering Serverless Chats listeners a special promotion. Sign up for a free account at lumigo.io and enter promo code CHATS500 and your free account limit will go up to half a million monthly invocations. That's lumigo.io with promo code CHATS500 to try it out today. Let's go back to the genesis, not necessarily the genesis of the concept, right? But the genesis of the technology that spurred all of these other technologies, which is AWS Lambda. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't think we'd be having these conversations, right? If AWS Lambda was not released in late 2014 and then went GA, I believe, in 2015. Right. Um, and so subsequently, the serverless paradigm was thrust into the spotlight. And that seems like eons ago, but also, you know, like three minutes ago. Right. Um, and so I, I'm I'm wondering, let's talk about its evolution a bit and a, a bit of how if you've been following it for this long and building it for this long, um, you know, you've covered topics from serverless CI/CD pipelines, observability, 
Um, like we already talked about how it's impacted voice technologies or how it's made it easy. You can build voice technologies without having to care about what that technology is running on. Right. You've mm -hmm. even talked about things like the future and climate change and how it relates to serverless. So some of those sort of related conversations that you were just talking about wanting to have or, or having had with uh, mm -hmm. previous guests. So as a host who thinks about these topics every day, I'm wondering if there's um, if there's a topic that serverless hasn't touched yet or or one that you that you hope it will soon. Um, mm. Those types of, of themes, those threads that you want to pull in the next 100 episodes. Ooh. That's another tough question. Wow, you get good questions. Uh, as I said, heavy hitters. <laughs> I told you I'd be bringing it. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, so that's actually a really good question. I mean, I think the evolution of serverless has seen um, its ups and downs. Um, I mean, I think one of the nice things is you look at something like serverless that was so constrained when it first started, um, and it still has constraints, which are good. Um, but it, 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 those constraints get lifted. We just talked about Adrian's, uh, you know, Adrian's talks about how, you know, it's like, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. And then like, okay, we'll add some feature that you can do that and you can do that. Um, and, and I think that for the most part, and I won't call out anything specific, but I think for the most part that the evolution of, of serverless and the evolution of Lambda and what it can do has been thoughtful. Um, and by that, I mean that it was sort of like, how do we, how do we evolve this into a way that doesn't create too much complexity um, and still sort of holds true to the serverless ethos of, you know, sort of being um, uh, fairly easy or write, just writing code, um, and then, but still evolve it to open up these other use cases and edge cases. Um, and I think that for the most part, um, that it has held true, uh, true to that, um, that it has been mostly, um, you know, been mostly, uh, uh, I guess, a, a, a smooth ride. Um, there are several examples, though, where it didn't. Um, and I said I wasn't going to call anything out, but I'm going to call this out. I think RDS proxy <laughs> wasn't great. Um, I think it works really well, um, but I don't think that's the solution to the problem. And and uh, it's a, it's a Band-Aid, uh, and it works really well. And congrats to the engineers who did it. I think there's a story about how two different teams are trying to build it at the same time, actually. But um, either, either way... Um, I look at that and I say, that's a good solution to the problem, but it's not the solution to the problem. Um, and so I think a serverless has stumbled um, a number in a number of ways to do that. I also feel like EFS uh, integration is super helpful, um, but I'm not sure that's the ultimate goal to share, I I the best way to share state. Um, but, but regardless, um, there are there are a whole bunch of things that that we still need to do with serverless, and a whole bunch of things that we you know we still need to add, and we need to build, and we need to figure out better ways to do maybe. Um, but I think in terms of something that doesn't get talked about uh, a lot is the developer experience of serverless, and that is again I'm not trying to pitch anything here, but that's literally what I'm trying to work on right now um, in my current role, um, is just that that developer experience of serverless, even though there was this thoughtful approach to adding things, to try to check those things off the list to say that it can't do this, so we're going to make it be able to do that by adding X, Y, and Z. Um, as amazing as that has been, um, that has added added layers and layers of complexity. Um, and I'll go back way, way back to 
the you know 1997 in my dorm room. Um, there, you know, CGI bins. If people are not familiar with those, essentially just running on a Linux server. It was a way that it would essentially um, it would run a Perl script or other types of scripts, uh, and it was essentially like you were running PHP or you're running Node or you're running Ruby or whatever it was. Um, so it would run uh, run a programming language for you, run a script, and then serve that information back. And of course, you had to actually know you know ins and out you know inputs and outputs. It was it was more complex than it is now. Um, but anyways, the point is is that back then though, once you had the script written, all you had to do is there's a thing called FTP, which I'm sure some people don't even know what that is anymore. File transfer protocol where you would basically say, take this file from my local machine and put it on this server, which is a remote machine. Um, and you would do that. And the second you did that, magically it was updated and you had this, this thing happening. Um, and I remember there were a lot of jokes way back in uh, early, probably 2017, 2018, that serverless was like the new CGI bin or something like that. But but more as a criticism of it, right? Um, or it's just, you know, CGI bins re reborn, whatever. Um, and I actually liked that comparison. I felt like, no, you know, I remember the days where I just wrote code and I just put it to some other server where somebody was dealing with it and I didn't even have to think about that stuff. I mean, we're, we're a long way from that now, but that's how serverless felt to me um, uh, one of the first times that I started interacting with it. And I felt like that was there was something there, there, like that was something special about it. And I also felt like the constraints of serverless, um, you know, especially the idea of not having state, people rely on things because they're there but when you don't have something and you ha and you're forced to think differently and to make a change um or or find a way to to work around it um sometimes workarounds turn into best practices um and that's one of the things that that I saw with serverless where people were figuring out pretty quickly how to build applications without state and then i think the problem is is that you had a lot of people who came along who were like you know Maybe big customers of AWS. I don't know. I, I you know, I'm not gonna, um, you know, I'm not gonna say that you might be influenced by large customers. I know lots of places are. Um, that said, we need this, and and maybe your the the will gets bent right because you just you can only you can only uh, fight gravity for so long, and so those are the kind of things where I feel like some of the stuff has been patchwork. And those patchwork things um, haven't ruined serverless. It's still amazing. It's still awesome what you can do with it. And of course, we're still really just we're focusing on fast here um, with everything else that's that's built with all the APIs and so forth and everything else that's serverless um, in the full serverless ecosystem. There's still a lot of amazing things there. Um, but I do feel like we've become so complex um, with building serverless applications that you can't, you know, the hello world is super easy. But if you're trying to build an actual application, I mean, it's a whole new mindset. You've got to got to learn a whole bunch of new things. And not only that, but you have to learn the cloud. You have to learn all the details of the cloud, right? You need to know all these different things. You need to know CloudFormation or Serverless Framework or uh, or SAM or something like that in order to get the stuff into the cloud. You need to understand the infrastructure that you're working with. You may not need to manage it, but you still have to understand it. You need to know what its limitations are. You need to know how it connects. You need to know what the failover states are. Like, there's so many things that you need to know. Um, and and to me, that's a burden, and that's adding new types of undifferentiated heavy lifting that that shouldn't be there. And and that's the conversation that I'd like to have continuing to move forward is how do you go back to a developer experience where you're saying you're taking away all this stuff and and again to call out Werner again he constantly says serverless is about writing code but ask anybody who builds serverless applications you're doing a lot more than writing code right now um, and I I would love to see us bring the conversation back to how do we get back there 
Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to um, you and I have talked about this notion of an ode to simplicity. Mm. And it's sort of what you want to write into your ode, right? Like, uh, if we're going to have an ode to simplicity, how do we make sure that we keep the simplicity inside of the ode? Right. Um, so I've got, I don't know if you've seen these. I don't but know. before I get to some wrap-up questions more from the, the brainwaves of Jeremy Daly, I don't want to forget to call out some, some long-time listener questions. And they, they wrote in. Uh, via Twitter, and they wanted to, you know, perhaps pick your brain on a few things. Um, okay. So I don't know if AMA. you're ready for this. I don't know AMA. if you've seen these. Yeah, AMA. these are going to put you in A-M. the... Uh, wait, A-M-A-A, ask me almost anything? No, go ahead, ask me anything. A-M-A-A, <laughs> A-M-J, no. There you go. Uh, right. Anyway, we got it. Ask right, Jeremy almost go. anything. There you go. <laughs> so there's just three to tackle for today's okay. episode that I'm in, that I'm going to lob at you. One is from Ken Collins. What Ken. will it take... What will it take to get you back to a relational database with Lambda? Ooh, I'm going to tell you right now, and I, without a doubt, Aurora Serverless V2. Um, I, I mean, I played around with that right after um, uh, reInvent 2000. What was it? 20? Yeah, it just came out, right? So I'm trying to remember what year it is at <laughs> yes, this point. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, when that just right when that came out, and I had spent a lot of time with a, uh, Aurora Serverless, you know, V1, I guess if you want to call it that. Um, I spent a lot of time with it. I used it on a couple of different projects. Um, I had a lot of really good success with it. I had the same pains as everybody else did when it came to scaling. Um, you know, and just the slowness of the of the scaling, and then and some of the the step down and some of those things, um, you know, there were certainly problems with it. Um, but V2, just the early, early, uh, you know, preview version of V2 was, uh, it was just a marvel of engineering. Um, and, uh, and, and the way that it worked was just, it was absolutely fascinating, and I know um, it's getting ready or it's getting close. I think to uh, um, you know to being uh, to being GA, um, and when that becomes GA, uh, I think I will I will have a new uh, outlook um, on um, on whether or not you know I can I can fit RDS into my applications. I will say though, okay, I will say I don't think that transactional um, applications should be using relational databases though. So I one of the things that was was sort of a nice thing about moving to serverless speaking of constraints was this idea that, you know, MySQL or Postgres or whatever really didn't have the scale or without, you know, again, engineering a whole a whole cluster and 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 uh, and failover and sharding and all kinds of crazy things like that to make sure that you had the scale. Um relational databases were just not the best choice when you were building things with serverless. Um, and so when I quickly realized that, um, I tried to find a solution. So I built something called serverless MySQL, um, which sort of is, uh, and again, I don't want the RDS proxy people to think that because RDS proxy sort of was trying to solve the same problem that serverless uh, MySQL was, that I have any um, uh, any problem with that. I'm actually glad. Like I, The fact that I had to use my uh, serverless MySQL was only because there wasn't a better solution for it. But um, I built that because I, I wanted to continue to use it. And even though I built that and it worked, um, there was just so many limitations. And it was one of those things where uh, using NoSQL or NoSQL just made so much more sense. And I forced myself into thinking that way because of the constraint. Um, and that was huge. That that changed my mind on on how um, NoSQL works. And I absolutely have to call out Rick Houlihan um, as well as Alex Debris, but Rick Houlihan uh, speaking about another 
you know, sort of person who influenced so many of my um, mm-hmm. my thought processes and changed my mind um, so dramatically. Uh, you know, when I saw Rick's uh, 2018 uh, talk at reInvent about single table design, um, and I know they, they're calling it something different now, but essentially single table design, um, this idea of... Uh, of I went back and watched 2017, and I, and I was like, okay, now now my mind's moving around. And then like watching 2017, watching 2018, then watching 2019. 2019, I was in his session watching it, and I could see his evolution of thinking of how he changed the way that he was approaching different problems and the patterns that he was using. And that clicked so much for me that 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 now I think about. Um, I feel like. This is going to sound uh, strange, but um, you, you, have you ever seen the movie The Matrix? You've probably seen the oh, movie yeah. The Matrix. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, when, uh, I don't know, one of the guys is watching the, you know, the green character scroll down the screen. He's like, I don't even see the code anymore. I just see, you know, there's a blonde, there's whatever. Like, that's how I feel looking at Dynamo TV now. Like, it just <laughs> makes sense to me. It clicked. And I wish everybody could feel that way. Um, I, I don't feel, you know, I'm not trying to, like, feel superior or anything like that. But it just works. It just works in my brain now. Um, and, uh and that's one of the reasons why I built DynamoDB Toolbox, too, was I was trying to say, how can I translate how I see this um, into a way that might be more relatable to other people and hopefully get them to sort of click? Um, and now, actually, at Serverless Inc., um, one of the things with Serverless Cloud is we're building something called Serverless Data, um, which is uh, is a similar key value store type thing, which, again, is me is is my uh, manifestation of how I envision, um, you know, sort of the interface into these things uh, and hopefully will make sense to people. So, um, but... Uh, but yeah, so so to answer Ken's question, serverless Aurora or Aurora serverless V2 um, will definitely get me using it for uh, anything that's got to be analytic uh, or analytical processing or analytic processing, processing, um, and also probably using it um, as I sort of do now as sort of a, a secondary um, a separate a secondary data store so that I can run queries on data even though I want it to be more highly available uh, on the front end through something like DynamoDB. Oh my gosh, that moment where it clicks, I just have this mental image of two brain synapses, like extending their hands toward each (laughs) other and finally touching, yeah, finally touching index fingers being like, hey, we did it. Um, All right. So from Matt Coulter comes another one. Love Matt too. Right? You got got some fans and some friends, (laughs) some friends that you're fans of um, or that are fans of you. Speaking of Northern Ireland, nor, 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 what do they say? Northern Iron? Nor an iron. Ooh, there I would. Go. It would be trouble if I tried to pronounce it the way they say it. <laughs> so, with the terms serverless first, or Matt asks, yeah. with the terms serverless first and cloud native, mm-hmm. causing confusion as to what we know it means. Parentheses code is a liability. Do you have a less confusing name we could use? Ooh. Um, so it's funny. I had this conversation with a Jay Nyer at. Uh, um, over breakfast one time we were, I think we were at the serverless breakfast. Um, where were we? It must've been reinvent, I guess. But, um, we were having this conversation and he was, he asked me a very similar question. And I said, look, this is simple. Serverless is just the way, right? So when somebody says, so what's the term for, you know, for serverless first or for, uh, you know, cloud native or whatever, 
when you're building an application, it's just the way. Um, I mean, that mm. it, it blows my mind. Now, and look, containers are great, by the way. I love containers. I know I don't talk about them very much. I'm not a fan of Kubernetes because I think it's overly complex for what it needs to do. Um, but I, but it, it, it works really well, too. So, I mean, that, you know, and if you know how to manage it, which not very many people do, that's why all the cloud providers are doing it now, um, that, you know, using containers, it can be a very, very good way uh, and a smart way um, to build your applications. You get portability around them, and there's all kinds of reasons to do it. I love the fact that um, I was a little bit, my skin was crawling a little bit when they announced <laughs> that uh, Lambda would support containers. Then when I realized it was just a packaging format, I was like, okay, that's much better. I, that I can deal with. Um, but I think that's one of the things where it introduces um, a level of, comfortability. And if you put your, uh, or if I should say, if I put my product manager hat on and I'm looking at that, I, I need to find familiarity, right? I, when I'm building a product, I need something that's familiar to people um, and, and not necessarily revolutionary, maybe evolutionary. I think serverless is revolutionary, which is part of the problem why it's not being adopted, I think, as quickly as it could be, um, because it's not quite as evolutionary as something like containers were. Um, containers are like the next step in VMs, you know what I mean? Or it's this idea where you can now split things up and into little, you know, smaller chunks and smaller chunks and so forth. And then came orchestration and you had all the problems around that. But, um, so I am, uh, I think that no matter how you're building your applications, whether you're building them in containers as a packaging format, as a runtime, whatever, um, how you serve those containers up, whether those are, again, serverless, you know, running in Lambda and, and Firecracker, or you're running them on IBM, uh, or you're running them on Google Cloud, you know, Google Cloud Run, I think is a fascinating technology. Um, no matter how you're doing it, I think the key here is to focus on the fact that you should be building your applications in a way that is going to be able to run on one of these modern types of infrastructures. That's the that's the only thing I would say. If you're trying to write code to write run directly on an EC2 instance, um, like look, 1997 called. They want their, you know, I don't know what their Pearl Jam shirt back. I don't know. Anyways, um, so the, <laughs> they want their hot dog shirt back. They want their hot dog shirt back, right? Um, I, I'd say they want their Green Day shirt back, but I love Green Day. I was just listening to them the other day. Um, anyways, so um, the uh, no, so I, I, again, I don't think I have a better term for you, Matt. Unfortunately, um, other than just to say, um, you know, I don't think serverless is a very good term. I, I've never been a fan of the term. I've tried to defend it, and then I, you know feel like what's the saying like you know if you argue with an idiot in uh public like um you know people don't know that uh, anyways i don't know what the saying is that was really who, who is the idiot who's yeah, the idiot like right that. yeah exactly yeah. so it's it's one of those things so it the the problem is is that that term is not great uh and things like serverless first um i like that idea that, a pro, that i mean I, I love the sentiment of it right like this idea of saying like we're going to try to build everything serverless first and then we're going to fall back to containers or the things we can't um and then maybe the things that we can't do there we're going to fall back to uh, VMs, and then in then worst case scenario, you got to build stuff on bare metal. But um, so I love that sentiment, and I think that sentiment's always going to be the way. But I think there's just this idea of like this is just modern app development. Like this is just how you build apps now. And if you're building apps starting on the bottom up, um, unless you have a really compelling reason to do that, you are really handicapping yourself. Um, and 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 you're going to struggle because th this is just the way the world's moving. So again, I, I just say you know. It's the way. It's the way to. It's the way to build applications now. Yeah, and um, as someone who had a large part in writing so many of those serverless messaging, serverless narratives, lambda right. as you know, packaged as containers. Uh, I'm sorry for making your skin crawl. And to any listeners <laughs> whose skin I made crawl, um, I am you know at Becca Old Late. If you want to hit me up on Twitter about that, and I can apologize to you 
publicly. Um, <laughs> so lastly, from Rob Sutter. And, and maybe my personal favorite, because I can hear Rob's brand of humor in this question, uh, since I have the, the great honor of knowing him personally as well. But he asks, do you ever go back and stand up instances just to remind yourself of everything you don't have to deal with anymore? Uh, well, I just had Rob on episode 99 talking about FaunaDB, which is also a fascinating thing. So uh, super exciting stuff that, that they're doing over there. Um, so every once in a while, and I, I'm going to admit to this, and, and hopefully people won't flood my website to crash it, but um, <laughs> I have been uh, so busy um, doing these other things that my personal website, jeremydaily.com, is still a load balanced um, WordPress site running on uh, EC2 with um, uh, an ELB in front of it, or maybe an ALB, whatever it is, um, and uh, and that is still out there running on multiple instances. And I have backup instances. Uh, I was hit on. Um, uh, <clears throat> Hacker News article one time that that shut my site down, so I had to spin up some additional instances. Um, but that is still running there. Um, so uh, I am so afraid of going to touch that thing that because I just haven't done it in so long um, that I. Uh, that I, I actually avoid it, and I haven't done it yet. So off by none and, and serverless chat site, those are uh, those are all you know static Jamstack sites. But um, but uh, but yeah, but uh, so I don't uh, do it often. But every once in a while, I do have to type in SSH and get into a old school server. Um, the last startup that I was just at, we were running. Um, uh, we had actually inherited a uh, a uh, Symphony app um, that was running on PHP. So I did have to actually manage um, uh, manage a few clusters of servers um and uh and have all the load balancing and, and all the scale the scaling groups and auto scaling and things like that and so um i am not unfamiliar with with all of that stuff um but uh but if i if i do it for my own personal amusement or i guess for my own personal suffering um i would not do that on purpose anymore um and and that would be my advice to anybody is um you maybe want to learn that stuff and you probably do if you want to get you know some of your aws certs but um uh, but from a practical standpoint, I would not, uh, I would not do that myself if, uh, unless the absolute need arised or arose, I guess. Yeah. I want to say, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, all right. So those are the listener questions and I, uh, I want to get back to a few of my own because this is sure. me and ring you, right. Uh, right. but it's it's a time to reflect, right? And so I just, I'm curious in the spirit of, of reflection in this 100th episode, if you were just starting serverless chats today or just starting your newsletter or your blog or your conference talks, what advice would you offer to your own self? Oh, um, well, I, I, one thing I, I have to absolutely call out because I don't, I certainly don't want people to think that these things just magically happen. Um, I have a team um, that helps me with these now. When I first started, it was just me. I was writing the newsletter. I was reading the newsletter. I was copy editing. I, you know, I was doing all of that stuff myself. Um, but now I have two absolutely amazing people that help me out. Angela Milanazzo um, basically does a lot of social media stuff. She runs the newsletter for uh, Service Chats Insiders. 
Cruise, and uh, she does all the guests reach out and uh, or reaching out to the guests and coordination with the guests and so forth. Um, she does a lot of the marketing stuff and and just so many things that uh, uh, that that can get taken off of my plate so that I can focus more on again having the conversations and, and doing some of the more hopefully important uh, the the undifferentiated heavy lifting stuff I guess um, that uh, that I don't have to do um, with with some of those uh, some of the things that Angela does for me, which is amazing. So thank you. And I've actually uh, I've been working with Angela for I want to say like maybe eight or nine years, eight, eight years now, something like that. And she we worked at the same startup together, and then um, and then we went separate ways. Is that we left that startup, but then we came back together to do this. So um, that was super exciting. Um, and then also uh, Melissa DiLorenzo, who was a longtime friend of mine, but all she actually worked at my web development company with me. Um, but she does uh, copy editing for me, writes, uh, um, you know, helps with the research for the serverless stars and, um, uh, and, and, and just copy edits the newsletter and does all these other things. She does my accounting for me for, you know, all the stuff that we do. So, um, so uh, I would not be able to do this stuff without, uh, without having a really amazing team uh, behind me. And I think that is one of the biggest pieces of advice uh, I would give, uh, I would give anybody um, is, uh, teamwork. Uh, like there is just, I mean, I've been doing this, you know, if we want to, if we want to consider 1997, the, you know, sort of the start date of, of, of my career around this stuff, um, you know, that's 24 years or so that I've been doing this. And I think any person is the sum of their experience. Like you, you just, you, some things you remember, some things you forget, but you know, whatever you experience, you know, you're, that's going to shape who you are. It's going to shape the way that you think. But you cannot like there's just experiences that I will never have. There are there are um, backgrounds or or situations that I will never experience. There are thoughts that I will never have um, because of who I am, because of where I grew up, because of how you know where I went to school, because of uh, the experiences that I've had or whatever. Um, and without having diverse teammates to to sort of help you um, see things from a different angle, um, not only to help you, but I mean not like help you like you know actually help you do work and and accomplish things, but without having people around you that um, differ in, in, in whether it's in the slightest way or in a massive way, um, without that different level of uh, perspective, you can't, you can't grow. Um, and so, I mean, that is one of the greatest things that I have. Um, uh, I think the, the, the greatest thing for me, having gotten the chance to not only interview all these people for serverless chats, not only to, you know, read all of the, the posts that I've, that I've shared on off by none, um, and all the articles there. Um, but to get to go to the conferences, to get to give these conference talks, to have people question things that I've written, um, in my blog post, I should call it something really important here. Uh, and I thank him for it. I, I wrote a blog post about serverless security. Um, one of the, 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 um, uh, uh, not my the main post, but another one that was about um, uh, like a SQL injection thing, and and I used some language in there that was sort of general and and sort of speculative, right? And Chris Munns actually called me out on that um, because he and he actually kind of had to do a little tweet storm. I think he got some word from up above that he had to sort of call out, you know, and, and, and make sure that he corrected the record on these things. And, and while I wasn't, you know, being critical of it, I was just being, I, I think I used some language and some, um, and some general generalities that, that weren't accurate or it, it did that maybe were misplaced in a way. And I don't think, I, I don't think I did anything wrong other than the fact that I, 
I was too general and I wasn't clear enough. Um, and when I got that feedback from him, I wasn't offended by it. Right. And that's another important thing. Like you've got to learn to take criticism, like absolutely, <laughs> whether it's constructive or not, um, you need to learn to take it. Um, but I remember getting that criticism from him and thinking to myself, I'm like, no, he's absolutely right. Like I can see how people could misinterpret what I said. Um, and, and again, once you get a voice and once people start reading what you're writing, you have a responsibility um, and and you absolutely have to just, you know, uh, make sure. And, and it's one of the things that I did. I mean, sort of from that point forward, every post that I've ever written um, is highly researched. Right. And if I don't know something, I usually will say, like, I'm not 100 percent sure about this. Um, you know, I could be wrong about this or whatever. So I will try to call those things out if I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, but you can make. um you can make a lot of assumptions when you're writing blog posts because sometimes it's just easier to fill fill in a sentence here and there by by adding some you know some bit of flair to it or whatever that will will make an assumption. Um, and uh, and while it might seem right at the time, um, you know that that can th those words can have an effect on somebody. And that's why I spend so much time now when I do write blog posts to try to you know heavily research those and make sure that the things I say are accurate um, and that I again I'm not using terms like you you know simple and easy um, and things like that, because that's another thing. Um, what is simple to me or what is easy to me or what seems easy to me or what seems easy to you or whatever um, could be wildly different um, from <laughs> somebody else's perception. And uh, and that's another thing is just, I guess, if we're moving on with the advice here is, um, you know, know your audience. Um, again, going back to Jeff Barr, uh, uh, like he just has this way to explain things that bring it down to a level that don't make you feel dumb, right? That you're like, you know, or that your eyes don't gloss over because you have no idea what he's talking about. But at the same time, <laughs> doesn't feel like he's talking down to you either. Um, and that's a hard thing to learn. I don't think, you know, I don't I read a lot of blog posts that don't do that. Um, and, uh, and and that's a hard thing to learn. So if you can uh, if you can find that level of humility where you say, I may know something uh, and I may know something really, really well, how can I communicate that to people in a way that doesn't talk down to them, but at the same time, um, is accessible, right? Cause accessibility, uh, is a, is a huge thing as well. Um, uh, yeah. What else? Um, I mean, going back again, I, I think the diversity thing, um, uh, you know, I don't want to harp on it too much, but that is, that is one of those things where me as a person personally from 2018, um, uh, when I first started writing these blog posts to the person that I am now and the way that I think about things, um, you know, politically as well as other way, you know, intellectually, um, you think the way I think about technology, all these different things, um, I am I am a different person, and I think differently now. I have evolved my thinking dramatically um, because I was able, um, just for a moment, you know, just for uh, you know a few minutes, for forty five minutes, for thirty minutes on a conversation, or for five minutes in the hallway, um, uh, you know, at a, at a conference, I was able to you know sort of feel or be empathetic to somebody else's predicament or their perspective or their. Um, you know, sort of there, you know, and, and get a tiny taste into that, that, in, that, that background, that insight and so forth. Uh, and that has dramatically changed who I am. And, and I mean, I'm pretty happy with where I am now. I still think I've got a lot of work to do on myself um, in terms of, uh, you know, continuing to open my mind, but um, I've met more people um, than I can, I, I don't remember all their names, unfortunately, but I have met so many people. Um, and, and that is just, that is one of those things where I guess so my advice here is, Whatever you do, if you're speaking at conferences or you're writing blog posts or you're, you're doing um, 
open source projects or you're uh, or you're or you're you're doing a podcast or whatever, um, open your channels up for feedback um, and 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 talk to people. Um, and uh, and if somebody has a problem with something you say, like you know, again, there's trolls, and then there are legitimate people who have concerns or you know. Who, who want to talk to you about something, and and if you can uh, if you can take that criticism and you can open yourself up to that stuff, then I think uh, you know you just make yourself a better person. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the other thing I guess I'll just say is you know it's fine to make assumptions about products and fine to make assumptions about building things and software and whatever. Uh, never make assumptions about people. Um, just the the thing is is that you know you might read something somebody wrote, wrote and it might be wildly inaccurate. It might be way off base from your own personal thinking. Um, and my biggest, I guess, uh, my the advice that I give to a lot of people, especially younger people, is over the course of your career, you will hear a lot of good ideas and you'll hear a lot of bad ideas. And um, you will not know the difference. Um, it takes a long time to start understanding. Most times when you hear something, you have no context. You don't have the context you need to understand whether that's good or it's bad. Um, Sometimes you do, but most times you don't. So uh, just take everything with a grain of salt and know that, you know, the best thing you can do is continue to learn and, and, and you know, keep an open mind um, and uh, get as much context as you can. And, and, and hopefully, you know, that, that, that turns you into a better person and a, and, a, and a better member of the community. So I asked you for some serverless advice, but I think that's just really some great life advice. Uh, <laughs> most of those to, can be applied to a broader. <laughs> no, I mean, thank you. I think let's let's yeah, it's it's more than serverless, right? It's like the power of building a great team, the power of being able to receive um, critiques and then in such a way where you want to improve your work in the way that you want to help others share it the way that you want to remain open to understanding where your own blind spots are. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm a little floored, <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you for sharing that with me. I think a uh, huge thank you, of course, to Angela and Melissa on your team. Um, huge thank you to Rob and Matt and Ken, who submitted their questions that we asked on the air. And then a huge thank you to all of your listeners and to the serverless community um, and so, you know, on this day, this very special day of your 100th serverless chats episode, what do you hope remains with them, with your team, with your listeners, with the serverless community? What do you hope remains with them in their mind's ear as they drift off to sleep this evening after hearing you as your guest on serverless chats? Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, again, I think uh, it, it's just one of those things where I, I'm wired in a way where I do what I do, I think, because I like to help people. Um, and, uh, I think there are a lot of people who uh, you, you just don't, you just don't know. Like, that's why I say don't make assumptions about people because you don't, you don't know, you have no idea what that person has gone through or what they're going through or what's behind a smile or a frown or what you just, you don't know. Um, and, and there's so much that, you know, human potential is amazing. And, and if you, if you limit the possibility of human potential because you judge too soon, then I think that you 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 do every everyone a disservice, including yourself, and including um, I guess the the evolution of mankind, which is something that is sort of passionate that I'm passionate about. So I guess the the advice that I would leave is just look, don't make assumptions. Be good to people, right? Like just you know we're all we're all in this together. So sort of like I don't know, I you know just go forth, be good, treat people 
treat people well, um, and uh, and build with serverless because that is definitely the definitely the future. All right, I I promise you, as I drift off to sleep tonight, I will definitely think be good to people, treat others well, build with serverless. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's my new motto. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's uh, that's you know, it's three easy sentences, good to remember. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for being our guest, but really your guest on Serverless Chats. And uh, thank you for the honor of letting me be the asker. I can't wait to see you at episode 101. And I can't wait to see, did we? Did I hear at Werner is going to be episode I, 101? I don't know if it'll at be Werner. 101, but uh, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of episodes between now and 200. So, <laughs> Well, I can't wait. Um, is there anything else you want to leave us with? No, I just I want to thank you, uh, Rebecca. I mean, you have been uh, in, you know, you've been, I think, another uh, sort of uh, what's the right word for it? Like you've been instrumental in the in in me being able to do this. Right. I mean, one of the one of the things I had said earlier was, you know, validation is extremely important. It's just what humans crave validation. And um, and it's not so much the notoriety or the popularity or any of those things that matter to me. What matters to me is that um, that I help people. And when you put a lot of time and energy into something um, to try to help somebody or you thinking you try to help somebody and it just doesn't get amplified it is it it can be really frustrating and and again like i said there are so many ideas out there. There are so many ideas out there that you do not know, that I do not know, that I've never heard before. There are perspectives that I've never heard before. And if you can't get access to those because, you know, that person has five followers on Twitter, um, that's a shame. That's a horrible shame. And so I, I guess the, the um, you know, what I want to say is that, like, you and the Heroes program at AWS and and the and the the help that you gave me, um, I mean, just, you know, with, with dealing with, like, trying to do sponsorships and these other things that you... I mean, you, you helped coordinate some guests for me and like reach out to some people like that. That's the kind of help. That's the type of thing where that, that feedback from you, that validation from you, the validation from AWS, the, that, 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 that recognition that what I was doing was, was helping people and, and hopefully moving that needle. Those are the kind of things that people need. That was something that I needed. And I don't think I would, uh, I don't think I'd be able to be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't have that encouragement and that support from, from you um, and, uh, and, and other members of the community. Well, I have no doubt that you would have achieved it regardless, but I am happy that I got to be the person to help you do so. And I think we share that ethos around an enthusiasm around the power of bringing community members together and uh, being able to share their ideas and perspectives excitedly. So on the same plane here. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, well, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Yeah. Can't wait to see episode 100. Happy episode 100. And, uh, or, you know, hear it, I should say, because I've seen it now this whole time. <laughs> uh, and then can't wait to, can't wait to see the next 100 episodes. Really looking forward to it. Awesome. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Rebecca Marshburn for guest hosting this week and to our sponsors, CBT Nuggets and Lamigo. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 100. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me. And I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.